Basic Concepts of Criminal Procedure from the Book of Riano. Concept of Criminal Procedure Number 1. Criminal Procedure is a generic term to describe the network of laws and rules which governs the procedural administration of justice. That's by Black's Law Dictionary. As such, it treats of the rules and processes by which the criminal laws are enforced and by which the state prosecutes persons who violate such laws. In the clear language of the court, procedural law, as applied to criminal law, provides or regulates the steps by which one who committed a crime is to be punished. Number two, while criminal law declares what conduct is criminal, defines crimes, and prescribes punishment for such crimes, criminal procedure lays down the processes by which an offender is made to answer for the crime he committed. Criminal law confines itself to the definition of offenses, the penalties applicable for such offenses, and the formulation of general principles for liability. It does not, however, answer the question as to how the offender is to be made liable for his crime. For instance, the revised penal code in Article 249 thereof defines the crime of homicide and provides that the same be punished by reclusion temporal. The revised penal code, however, does not prescribe the methods and processes by which the offender is made accountable for the crime of homicide. These processes are supplied by criminal procedure. Ultimate goal of criminal procedure, the enforcement of the criminal laws of the state inevitably leads to governmental intrusions into an individual's zones of privacy. How these intrusions can be reconciled with constitutional and statutory doctrines protecting individual rights is an inescapable theme tackled in criminal procedure. In the prosecution for the violation of the penal laws, criminal procedure has the imposing task of balancing clashing societal interests primarily between those of the government and those of the individual. Criminal procedure, therefore, has the ultimate goal of harmonizing the governmental functions of maintaining peace and order and protecting the constitutional rights of its citizens. The Adversarial or Accusatorial System Number one, the system of procedure in our jurisdiction is accusatorial or adversarial. It is not inquisitorial. It contemplates two contending parties before the court which hears them impartially and renders judgment only after trial. In our judicial setup, a judge is not permitted to act as an inquisitor who pursues his own investigation and arrives at his own conclusion ex parte. The system has a two-sided structure consisting of the prosecution and the defense where each side tries to convince the court that its position is the correct version of the truth. In this system, the accusation starts with a formal indictment called in our jurisdiction as a complaint or an information. The allegations in which must be proven by the government beyond reasonable doubt. The government and the accused present their evidence before the court, which shall decide either on acquittal or conviction of the accused. In its decision-making process, the court shall consider no evidence which has not been formally offered. 
the court in this system, therefore, has a passive role and relies largely on the evidence presented by both sides to the action in order to reach a verdict. Number two, in the inquisitorial system, the court plays a very active role and is not limited to the evidence presented before it. The court may utilize evidence gathered outside the court, and a judge or a group of judges under the system actively participates in the gathering of facts and evidence instead of passively receiving information or evidence from the parties. The judge steers the course of the proceedings by directing and supervising the gathering of the evidence and the questioning of the witnesses to the case. Thus, the councils in the inquisitorial system have less active roles than they have in the adversarial system. Liberal Interpretation of the Rules The rules on criminal procedure being part of the rules of court shall be liberally construed in order to promote their objective of securing a just, speedy, and inexpensive disposition of every action and proceeding, as stated in Section 6, Rule Number 1 of the Rules of Court. Illustrative of this rule is a case in which the petitioner's former counsel erroneously appealed her conviction to the Court of Appeals instead of to the Sandigan Bayan. The petitioner pleaded that the provisions of Section 2 of Rule 50 of the Rules of Court, which mandate the dismissal of cases erroneously appeared to the Court of Appeals, be relaxed and that the Court of Appeals be directed to forward the records of the case to the Sandigan Bayan. The Supreme Court, in granting the petitioner's prayer, held that since the appeal involved a criminal case, and the possibility of a person being deprived of liberty due to a procedural lapse is great. A relaxation of the rule was warranted. The court emphasized the need to view rules of procedure as tools to facilitate the attainment of justice, such that any rigid and strict application thereof, which results in technicalities tending to frustrate substantial justice, must always be avoided. This is in the case of Cariaga versus People, 626 Kra 231-236. Let's go to the requisites for the exercise of criminal jurisdiction. Requisites A reading of jurisprudence and treatises on the matter discloses the following basic requisites before a court can acquire jurisdiction over criminal cases. This was stated in the case of Cruz versus Court of Appeals, 388 Kra 7283. First, letter A, jurisdiction over the subject matter. B, jurisdiction over the territory. C, jurisdiction over the person of the accused. Jurisdiction over the subject matter versus jurisdiction of over the person of the accused. This was questioned in Bar Exam 2000. And 2014. Number one, jurisdiction over the subject matter refers to the authority of the court to hear and determine a particular criminal case. It is in simple terms jurisdiction over the offense charge. One case decided years ago, citing previous court pronouncements, describe such jurisdiction as the authority to hear and try a particular offense and impose the punishment for it or that the offense is one which the court is by law authorized to take cognizance of. This is in the case of Antiporda Jr. versus Gachitorena, 321-SCRA-551558. Number two, jurisdiction over the person of the accused. 
by contrast, refers to the authority of the court not over the subject matter of the criminal litigation but over the person charged. This kind of jurisdiction requires that the person charged with the offense must have been brought into its forum for trial forcibly by warrant of arrest or upon his voluntary submission to the court. Again, this is in the case of Antiporda versus Gachitorena. You can also read this in Coanco Jr. versus Sandigan Bayan. It is therefore the arrest of the accused or his voluntary submission to the court which enables said court to acquire jurisdiction over his person. Jurisdiction over the territory and venue in criminal cases. This was asked in Bar Exam 1997. Number one, a very important principle in relation to jurisdiction over the territory is that in criminal cases, venue is jurisdictional and a court is bereft of jurisdiction to try an offense committed outside its limited territory. Thus, the court, in very lucid terms, explains that the place where the crime was committed determines not only the venue of the action but is an essential element of jurisdiction. It is a fundamental rule that for jurisdiction to be acquired by courts in criminal cases, the offense should have been committed or any one of its essential ingredients should have taken place within the territorial jurisdiction of the court. Territorial jurisdiction to take cognizance. Territorial jurisdiction in criminal cases is the territory where the court has jurisdiction to take cognizance or to try the offense allegedly committed therein by the accused. Thus, it cannot take jurisdiction over a person charged with an offense allegedly committed outside of that limited territory. If the evidence adduced during the trial show that the offense was committed somewhere else, the court should dismiss the action for want of jurisdiction. This is in the case of Trenias versus People. Citations of the courts were omitted here. Now, for number two, we have for complaint or information to be sufficient. The same must enable the court through the allegations therein to determine that the offense was committed or any of its essential ingredients occurred at some place within the jurisdiction of the court. Hence, the rule places the venue of criminal cases either in the court of the municipality or territory, A, where the offense was committed, or B, where any of its essential ingredients occurred. This is in Section 15A, Rule 110, Rules of Court, and Section 10, Rule 110 of the Rules of Court, in the case of Union Bank of the Philippines versus People. Now, let's talk about criminal jurisdiction over the subject matter. Jurisdiction over the subject matter, number one. Generally, jurisdiction is the right to act or the power and authority to hear and determine a cause. It is a question of law. This is in the case of Gomez versus Montalban. The term imports the power and authority to hear and determine issues of facts and of law. The power to inquire into the facts, to apply the law, and to pronounce judgment. As previously stated, criminal jurisdiction is the authority to hear and try a particular offense and impose the punishment for it. It is the power to deal with the general subject involved in the action and means not simply jurisdiction over the particular case then occupying the attention of the court but jurisdiction of the class of cases in which the particular case belongs. How jurisdiction over the subject matter is conferred? Number one, it is the law that confers jurisdiction and not the rules. Rules of procedure 
yield to substantive law. Otherwise stated, jurisdiction must exist as a matter of law. This is in the case of Padunan versus Department of Agrarian Reform Adjudicated Board or Darab. Jurisdiction over the subject matter is conferred by law and any judgment, order, or resolution issued without it is void and cannot be given any effect in the case of Magno versus People. Number two, jurisdiction over the subject matter in a criminal case cannot be conferred upon the court by the accused express waiver or otherwise since such jurisdiction is conferred by the sovereign authority which organized the court and is given only by law in the manner and form prescribed by law. This is in the case of Fukuzume versus people. Subject matter jurisdiction is not conferred by the consent or acquiescence of any or all of the parties. In the case of Kohuanko Jr. versus Republic, it cannot be acquired through a waiver or enlarged by the omission of the parties or conferred by the acquiescence of the court in the case of Atienza versus people. Number three, because subject matter jurisdiction is conferred by law, it is not conferred or acquired by the unilateral assumption thereof by any tribunal in the case of Tolentino versus Social Security Commission. It is not conferred by mere administrative policy of any trial court in the case of Udia versus Court of Appeals. It cannot likewise be conferred by an erroneous belief of the court that it has jurisdiction in the case of Azarcon versus Sandigan Bayan. The conferment of jurisdiction cannot be presumed. When the law confers jurisdiction, that conferment must be clear. It cannot be presumed. It must appear from the statute or will not to be held, not be held to exist. Such jurisdiction cannot be broadened upon doubtful inferences drawn from statutes. Absent a statutory grant, the assumption of jurisdiction cannot be justified by convenience or assumed justice or propriety. This is in the case of De Jesus versus Garcia. The rule, therefore, is that in order to ascertain whether a court has jurisdiction or not, the provisions of law shall be inquired into. In the case of Soler versus Sandigan Bayan, how jurisdiction over the subject matter is determined. Number one, cases or case law has it that while jurisdiction of courts is conferred by law, Jurisdiction of a criminal case is determined by the allegations in the complaint or information. The court, therefore, must look into the allegations of the written accusation for it to know whether or not it has jurisdiction over the offense charged therein. If the facts set out in the complaint or information are sufficient to show that the court has jurisdiction, then the court indeed has jurisdiction. Otherwise, it has no jurisdiction. It was held that in order to determine the jurisdiction of the court in criminal cases, the complaint or information must be examined for the purpose of ascertaining whether or not the facts set out therein and the punishment provided for by law for such acts fall within the jurisdiction of the court in which the criminal action is filed. It is settled that the jurisdiction of the court in criminal cases is determined by the allegations of the complaint or information and not by the findings based on the evidence of the court after trial. This is in the case of Mobilia Products versus Umezawa. Number two, to illustrate, in one criminal case, the information states that the accused conspiring together and mutually helping with one another, taking advantage of their superior strength as elements of the Philippine army, armed with their government-issued firearms with intent to kill by means of treachery and evident premeditation, did then and there willfully, unlawfully, and feloniously attack, assault, and shoot the victims, hitting them on different parts of their bodies, thereby inflicting upon them 
multiple gunshot wound, wounds which caused their deaths. The allegation clearly indicate the alleged commission of the crime of murder. Murder is a crime punishable under Article 248 of the Revised Penal Code and is within the jurisdiction of the Regional Trial Court, hence irrespective of whether the killing was actually justified or not. Jurisdiction to try the crime charge against the respondents is vested upon the Regional Trial Court by law. This is in the case of Rapsing versus Ables. Number three, it has been ruled that the jurisdiction of the court is not determined by the evidence presented by the parties at the trial. In the case of Lacson versus Executive Secretary, neither is it determined by the defenses set up by the defendant or the accused. In the case of Rapsing versus Ables, in sum, only the allegations in the complaint or information constitutes the guidepost in determining the jurisdiction of the court disregarding the defenses of the accused or whatever evidence is presented during the trial. Use of imposable penalty. Number one. In relation to the immediately preceding rule, it must be stated that the jurisdiction is not determined by the penalty actually imposed after trial but by the penalty imposable by law on the offense. Thus, if the allegations of the information charged that use with an offense within the jurisdiction of the RTC because the imposable penalty exits six years, that court has jurisdiction even if the penalty imposed by said court after trial is imprisonment less than six years. Number two. The court thus has declared in criminal prosecutions jurisdiction of the court is not determined by what may be meted out to the offender after the trial or even by the result of the evidence that would be presented during the trial but by the extent of the penalty which the law imposes together with other legal obligations on the basis of the facts as recited in a complaint or information in the case of People versus Buisan and also in the case of People versus Purisima. Statute applicable to a criminal action. Number one. It is a firmly settled doctrine that the subject matter jurisdiction of a court in criminal matters is measured by the law in effect at the time of the commencement of a criminal action rather than by the law in effect at the time of the commission of the offense charge in the case of People versus Lagon. Also in the case of People versus Magallanes, neither it is determined by the law enforced during the arraignment of the accused in the case of Palana versus People. Number two, other decisions have held that the jurisdiction of a court to try a criminal case is determined by the law in force at the time of the institution of the action in the case of Palana versus People and People versus Kawaling and not at the time of the commission of the offense. Number three, a, mere recent, a more recent ruling declares. In criminal cases, the jurisdiction of the court is determined by the averments of the complaint or information in relation to the law prevailing at the time of the filing of the complaint or information and the penalty provided by law for the crime charge at the time of its commission. In the case of Assistio versus People, GR number 204.65, April 20, 2015. Note, in the cited cases, the Supreme Court used the terms commencement institution and filing interchangeably. Principles of adherence of jurisdiction or continuing jurisdiction. Number one, the jurisdiction of the court is referred to as continuing in view of the general principle that once a court has acquired jurisdiction, that jurisdiction continues until the court has done all that it can do in the existence of that jurisdiction. Thus, if the RTC by virtue of the allegations of the complaint has already acquired jurisdiction over the offense of frustrated homicide, 
but the evidence offered during the trial showed the commission of an offense of less serious physical injuries which is cognizable by the MTC if initially filed. The RTC does not lose its jurisdiction over the offense charge and may impose the proper penalty for the offense proved. Number two, once a court acquired, acquires jurisdiction, it may not be ousted from the case by any subsequent events such as new legislation placing such proceedings under the jurisdiction of the another tribunal. The only recognized exception to the rule arises when letter A, there is an express provision in the statute, or B, the statute is clearly intended to apply to actions pending before its enactment in the case of People versus Kawaling and Palana versus People. Objections on jurisdictional grounds. Number one. The rule is settled that an objection based on the ground that the court lacks jurisdiction over the subject matter may be raised or considered motu proprio by the court at any stage of the proceeding or on appeal. In the case of Fukuzume versus People, hence, questions of jurisdiction may be cognizable even if raised for the first time on appeal in the case of Atienza versus People. Number two. The right to raise the issue of jurisdiction has its limitation. A party, according to the court, cannot invoke the jurisdiction of the court to secure affirmative relief against his opponent and after obtaining or failing to obtain such relief, repudiate or question that same jurisdiction. In the case of Antiporta Jr. versus Cachitoren, after voluntarily submitting a cause and encountering an adverse decision on the merits, it is too late for the loser to question the jurisdiction or power of the court. While the jurisdiction of a tribunal may be challenged at any time, sound public policy bars one from doing so after their having procured that jurisdiction, speculating on the fortunes of litigation in the case of People versus Monar. Number 3. The above rule is the same as in civil cases in Tijam versus Sibong Hanoi. The court earlier ruled that a party may be stopped from questioning the jurisdiction of the court for reasons of public policy as when he initially invokes the jurisdiction of the court and then later on repudiates that same jurisdiction. The court, however, emphasized that the doctrine of Estopel laid down in Tijam is an exception and not the general rule. The rule still stands that jurisdiction is vested by law and cannot be conferred or waived by the parties. Hence, even an appeal and even if the reviewing parties did not raise the issue of jurisdiction, the reviewing court is not precluded from ruling that the lower court had no jurisdiction over the case. This is in the case of Pangilinan versus Court of Appeals. Estopel in questioning the jurisdiction of the court is only brought to bear when not to do so will subvert the ends of justice. Jurisdiction of courts is the blueprint of our judicial system without which the road to justice would be a confusing maze. Whenever the question of jurisdiction is put to front, courts should not lightly brush aside errors in jurisdiction, especially when it is the liberty of the individual which is at stake. This is in the case of Pangilinan versus Court of Appeals. For Tijam versus Sibong Hanoi, to be applied to a criminal case, the factual circumstances which justify the application of the bar by latches must be present in the case. Now let's go to criminal jurisdiction over the person of the accused. This is a question asked in Bar Exam 2008. How acquired? In criminal proceedings, it is not sufficient for the court to acquire jurisdiction over the subject matter. It also needs to acquire jurisdiction over the person of the accused. It has been earlier stated that jurisdiction over the subject matter is conferred by law. On the other hand, how then is jurisdiction over the person of the accused acquired? Jurisprudence answered the same question when it was held that jurisdiction over the person of the accused is acquired upon his arrest or apprehension with or without a warrant, or his voluntary appearance or submission to the jurisdiction of the court, in the case of Valdepeñas versus People. 
voluntary submission to the jurisdiction of the court seeking affirmative relief. As a rule, one who seeks an affirmative relief is deemed to have submitted to the jurisdiction of the court. Filing pleadings seeking affirmative relief constitutes voluntary appearance and the consequent jurisdiction of one's person to the jurisdiction of the court. Thus, by filing several motions before the regional trial court and seeking the dismissal of the criminal case, respondent voluntarily submitted to the jurisdiction of the court. This is in the case of Jimenez versus Sorongan. The voluntary submission of the accused to the jurisdiction of the court is accomplished either by his pleading to the merits such as by filing a motion to quash or other pleadings requiring the exercise of the court's jurisdiction appearing for arraignment or entering trial in the case of Santiago versus Vasquez. You can also you can also check the case of Antiporda Jr. versus Gachitorena. When the accused appears for arraignment, voluntary submission to the jurisdiction of the court is accomplished. If he subsequently fails to appear during the trial and escapes from the custody of the law, such jurisdiction is not lost. Jurisdiction once acquired is not lost but continues until the case is terminated. This is in the case of Jimenez versus Nazareno. Voluntary submission may also be effected through some other acts as when he enters into a counsel-assisted plea and actively participates in the trial and presents evidence for the defense. Thus, the accused is deemed to have waived his constitutional protection against illegal arrest. This is by People versus Rivera. Also, by his filing of a motion for determination of probable cause, the court acquired jurisdiction over the person of the accused in the case of David versus Agbay. Objecting to the jurisdiction of the court over the person of the accused. Number one, not all acts, however seeking affirmative relief, would constitute a voluntary appearance or submission to the jurisdiction of the court. Making a special appearance in court to question the jurisdiction of the court over the person of the accused is not a voluntary appearance as when in a criminal case, a motion to quash is filed precisely on that ground. There is likewise no submission to the jurisdiction of the court when the accused files a motion to quash the warrant of arrest because it is the very legality of the court process forcing the submission of the person of the accused that is the very issue in a motion to quash the information of the warrant of arrest. This is in the case of Miranda versus Tuliao. Number two, it has been held that the accused may make a special appearance before the court to challenge the jurisdiction of the court over the person and such appearance is not tantamount to estopel or a waiver of the objection. Neither is it a voluntary submission to the jurisdiction of the court. This is in the case of Garcia versus Sandigan Bayan. As the court in another case put it, where the appearance is by motion for the purpose of objecting the ju to the jurisdiction of the court over the person, it must be for the sole and separate purpose of objecting to said jurisdiction. If the appearance is for any other purpose, the defendant is deemed to have submitted himself to the jurisdiction of the court. Such an appearance gives the court jurisdiction over the person. This is in the case of Cojuanco Jr. versus Sandigan Bayan. Custody of the law versus jurisdiction over the person. Objecting to the legality of the arrest. Number one, the court has made a distinction between custody of the law and jurisdiction over the person. 
being in the custody of the law is not necessarily being under jurisdiction of the court. The court elucidates thus, custody of the law is required before the court can act upon the application for bail, but is not required for the adjudication of other relief sought by the defendant where the mere application constitutes a waiver of the defense of lack of jurisdiction over the person of the accused. One can be under the custody of the law but not yet subject to the jurisdiction of the court over his person, such as when a person arrested by virtue of a warrant files a motion before arraignment to quash the warrant. On the other hand, one can be subject to the jurisdiction of the court over his person and yet not be in the custody of the law, as when an accused escapes custody after his trial has commenced. Being in the custody of the law signifies restraint on the person who is thereby deprived of his own will and liberty, binding him to become obedient to the will of the law. Custody of the law is literally custody over the body of the accused. It includes but is not limited to detention. This is in the case of Miranda versus Tuliao. In a more recent case, the MTC denied the motion of the accused for a redetermination of probable cause, since accordingly, the motion was filed prior to arrest. The court could not grant the motion because it had no jurisdiction over the person of the accused. The court ruled that the MTC erred in stating that it had no jurisdiction over the accused, since the filing of the motion signified submission to the jurisdiction of the court. The MTC obviously confused custody of the law with jurisdiction over the person. Custody of the law is not required for the adjudication of reliefs except in applications for bail, which requires that the applicant be under the custody of the law before the application may be acted upon. This is in the case of David versus Agbay. In connection with the preceding paragraph, an important rule in Rule 114 needs emphasis. Under Section 26 of Rule 114 of the Rules of Court, an application for the admission, an application for or admission to bail shall not bar the accused from challenging the validity of his arrest or the legality of the warrant issued therefore, or from assailing the regularity or questioning the absence of a preliminary investigation of the charge against him, provided that he raises them before entering his plea. Injunction to restrain criminal prosecution. Bar question 1999. Number one. A well-entrenched principle consistently adhered to in procedural law is the general rule that injunction will not be granted to restrain a criminal prosecution since public interest requires that criminal acts be immediately investigated and prosecuted for the protection of society. This is the in the case of Reyes versus Camilon. This injunction applies to either a preliminary or final injunction. Number two, there are however exceptions to the above rule. Such exceptions accordingly are meant to apply in extreme cases. Thus, when the injunction is necessary to afford adequate protection to the constitutional rights of the accused, that's one, second, when it is necessary for the orderly administration of justice or to avoid oppression 
or multiplicity of actions. Third, when there is a prejudicial question, which is subjudice. Fourth, when the act of the officer are without or in excess of authority. Fifth, where the prosecution is under an invalid law, ordinance, or regula regulation. Sixth, when double jeopardy is clearly apparent. Number seven, where the court has no jurisdiction over the offense. Number eight, where it is a case of persecution rather than prosecution. Number nine, where the charges are manifestly false and motivated by the lust for vengeance. And number ten, when there is clearly no prima facie case against the accused and a motion to quash on that ground has been denied. Next, mandamus to compel prosecution. This is in the case bar 1999 as well. Number one, in our criminal justice system, the public prosecutor exercises a wide latitude of discretion in determining whether a criminal case shall be filed in court and the courts must respect the exercise of such discretion. This is in the case of People versus Yek Yek. Mandamus, therefore, will as a rule not lie to compel criminal prosecution. Number two. The court has consistently ruled that mandamus is a remedial measure for parties aggrieved which shall be issued when any tribunal, corporation, board, officer, or person unlawfully neglects the performance of an act which the law specifically enjoins as a duty resulting from an office, trust, or station. The writ of mandamus is not available to control discretion. Neither may it be issued to compel the exercise of discretion. Truly, it is a matter of discretion on the part of the prosecutor to determine which persons appear responsible for the commission of a crime. However, the moment he finds one to be so liable, it becomes his inescapable duty to charge him therewith and to prosecute him for the same. In such a situation, the rule law losses its discretionary character and becomes mandatory. This is in the case of Metropolitan Bank and Trust Company versus Reynaldo. Metropolitan Bank and Trust Company also instructs that if despite the sufficiency of the evidence before him, the prosecutor refuses to file the corresponding information against the person responsible, the, he abuses his discretion. His act is tantamount to a deliberate refuse, refusal to perform a duty enjoined by law. In the same vein, the Secretary of Justice would gravely abuse his discretion when despite the existence of sufficient evidence for the crime as acknowledged by the investigating prosecutor, he completely ignores the latter's findings.